I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Legend Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the online platform to make your indoor cycling training fun. We have the Catalonia Brugge de Pana much vaunted doubleheader. Actually, Brugge de Pana was good today yeah the Murin and crosswinds and terrible weather probably one worth watching if you missed the cattle if you wished it watching the catalonia stage benji obviously was glued to it because i believe it does laps around his house i say that joke <laughs> a lot but i think in this instance it's actually like, the truth right it literally misses my city and does everything around my city so it laps around my very, city basically <laughs> it's very liberal use of the word city there i think uh, it, it's an um, official city in, but everybody keeps saying that histel is not a city but it's officially a city <laughs> okay <laughs> um anyway we're gonna do catalonia first where they're not in cities. Well, they leave barcelona <laughs> which is a city like north of barcelona and are lost um well, not really that close. And then they're going to do a pretty hard stage. The overall, the most difficult stage start to finish. Not the most difficult finish, though. 180Ks from Olos to La Molina. It has, let's say, five climbs, of which three of them are over 20 minutes, 25 minutes. They have the Col de la Creta, which is 18.7Ks, 5% in steps. And then La Molina, which is mainly 8.4Ks, 6.5% descent. Most solar attack last year. We'll see if he does it again. And then a little punch to the finish of maybe 5% at 1K. A little punchy finish. Weird stage. O'Connor won it last year. And Roglic was in the leader's jersey by just six seconds ahead of Avonapool. Decent break, though, Benji, actually. like When I saw the break, I was like, these are some decent climbers who you can't give five, seven minutes to. Especially Richard Carapaz, who is on three minutes 30 in GC, had a bad day on yesterday's climb, but let's be honest about it, he's still that kind of guy that goes in Velta breakaways if he's not in GC and destroys people in breakaways. But destroying was not necessarily what he was going to do today in that breakaway. Spoilers for you there. He went in the breakaway with another uh, rider from the from the area. Cepeda, not the Cepeda that is currently on. I don't even know where that Cepeda has EF. gone. EF. Okay. Carapaz. Next to Carapaz. But the other Cepeda, Jefferson Alvero, no clue if it's related, is on Cajarural, and he's probably a better rider in my personal opinion at the moment. Yeah, he's good in Andalusia. <laughs> Maxim von Hills in that breakaway as well. We had Guillaume Martin that breakaway dropped relatively early and then came back again towards the final. So intriguing to see like the, the strengths in this breakaway, but... Let's be honest about it. The peloton kept it relatively close, even though it went to four and a half minutes at the start with Jumbo Visma putting a rider at the front just to control. It looked like Quickstep was going to push hard on the uh, latter parts of the race. And you said it, this is a harder race than, for example, yesterday's stage, because yesterday is kind of a Unipuerto stage. What that is, is Unipuerto. I think that means one climb because it's like flat and a climb at the end. Hockey stick parkour, as we as we decided to mention it a few a few years ago on this podcast. And today is climbs throughout. So you know that you can make the race harder. You can put more kilojoules in the legs of the competitors if 
you pace on earlier climbs. And the Col de la Crueta, or whatever it's called, the second last climb of the day, that's a bit of a, a nifty one, eh? Because, like, it says, like, 5% average, but there's actual steep parts in it, no? There's, like, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> By the way, sorry, professional podcaster. I know the riders get sick after Paranese and Chirano, but I've also got a little bit of a uh, a throat or something coming on. Uh, but I, I battled through. No days off. Um, no DNFs here. But yeah, there's some Ks at 8%. 8% is a decent gradient, and it's really, there's like a little descent that it's not a fake, fully fake goose climb, but you can make parts of it difficult. And it also goes to 1,900 meters. It's reasonably high. It gets cool up there too at this time of year. And you've got long, cool descents into La Molina too. So it's the hardest stage of the race, even though Le Port will clearly be the hardest finish. I was, though, surprised that Quickstep took it up today. And Remco didn't hide that. He said in the interview before the race, yeah, we're going to have a go today. We're going to see what the Giro Mountain Train can do, which I was like... Why not yesterday? <laughs> like, where the stage, the finish is way harder and you can create proper gaps. I was thinking this is a very suitable Roglic finish for Roglic. So, I don't know. I, I was surprised that I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong today. I'm saying of the three mountain stages in this race, this stage wouldn't have been the one I would have circled to go hard on. I agree. I'd say that Laporte, the one that is coming, is the hardest one. I'd say that the Unipuerto stage that we had yesterday is a finish that is also harder than on paper this Crueta and this last climb. But I think, playing at Vicket of the Devil for a second, that maybe the factor that there's more climbing before the final climb felt like they could do more on those climbs because maybe other teams would have taken it up if it was a Unipuerto climb and maybe those riders wouldn't have been there then. Because like yesterday, they weren't there, eh? But Welder was the only rider there. I think he hit, dropped with like 25 riders left. Today, they were much stronger than yesterday. So maybe they just weren't good enough yesterday? Maybe, yeah. Maybe the steadier, harder pace suited them compared to like the hockey stick. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I must confess, I don't know Jan Hitt's exact <laughs> power curve and how yeah. it responds to fatigue. Uh, maybe that's a bit remiss of me, but yeah, it's, they're obviously confident. And you got to say, like, Remco, it's not like he has no chance in a punchy finish against Roglic. Like, yesterday he pulled for 2Ks. He attacked in the last 2Ks again. He did a lead-out slash started a sprint from 500 meters to go, and then they just barely beat him. And stage one, he came from deep, uh, although Roglic was impressive too. Like, it's not like the disparity between Pogacar yeah. and Vingegaard in sprints. Yeah, that's for certain. Now... They did pace on the Crueta, like you mentioned. They made the race a bit harder here. Said he was the first one. Cataneo also doing work on that climb. I'm not 100% so sure if I saw Masnada. It could be that he paced as well, but I didn't count every single quick step rider on the climb. And the group started reducing quite a bit. I feel like there were like 25 to 30 riders left with like four and a half, five 5k to go, which is the, the steeper portion of the Crueta climb towards the end, just before it flattens out to two kilometers of flatness towards the top. And I was like, Von Welder's still here? Hirt is still here. Other hypothetical for a second. What happens in this race? If Hirt goes hard, Von Wilder goes hard, and then Kuevenepoel attacks a group of 15 here. Because Jumbo only had Kuz next to Roglic, and Kreisweg was at the back of the peloton. Didn't look amazing. 
There's no way Remco wants to push full on a descent, though. Yeah. Even if it's not that technical in Catalonia in the lead up to the Giro, yeah. I just I never see it. But as viewers, uh, happening. we would want it. Eh? Of course, I'd love to see it. No risk, no glory. He absolutely should have done that. Despicable that he didn't. But um, yeah, I can understand him not doing it and also keeping the team together. And you know, Kuz is a good descender too. Like Kuz, frankly, Kuz can bring a ten second gap. I think on home roads and he's a better descender than Remco I don't think so because of the two kilometers of flat at the top true yeah Remco's really really fast there um but yeah it's just close not saying they're gonna do yeah. for in Catalonia maybe in the year maybe maybe we'll go for it then um but before then make sure you check out the all-new Zwift hub the easiest way to start Zwifting a class leader in its price bracket, according to Bike Radar, but according to me, a price leader across all trainers representing better value for money than any other turbo trainer on the market. Direct drive, full immersion feel, no sweat setup, unlock your fitness. On Zwift, you can be racing virtually every day, like Benji, kicking PR goals every day. I won't do any spoilers more than that on there <laughs> or you can just use zwift's training workouts they even have a collection of workouts under one hour in length if you're pressed for time like somehow i have been <laughs> the last couple of days it's very useful for me to stay on top of my fitness goals so thanks as always to zwift our presenting show partner and especially if you live in Brugge de Pone area right now, because the weather in that race was not Looks looking so good today, and I wouldn't have ridden in it, so I'd rather ride inside on Zwift then. <laughs> also, before we get back to Catalonia, and this is not directly related to Zwift, but it sort of is, because, you know, <laughs> we're... So, the horses, right? <laughs> they, they, they have so much manure, and they use it as fertilizer here, and so they're about to plant the tobacco plants behind my house before and summer and they grow in summer and then they cut them just after the welter usually and because i walked out of the house i was like do i smell like horse shit <laughs> like has it gotten to that that stage with my wife not over here yet that i just smell like horse shit and then i realized no my whole suburb smells like horse shit and then i realized but if I'm in my suburb with that around me maybe it will make me start smelling like horse shit i think i don't want to say anything about the Demur and Benji, but that's how riders get sick, right? Like there's all the rubbish on the road flicking up. It can't be yeah, great ingesting that. Even Stone the Wolf, what race was it? The now where he straight up rode into manure <laughs> by the side of the road? <laughs> he literally felt... Well, we don't know if it was horse or cow anyway, but, you know, these are the things you've got to be aware of when you're covering Northern Classics <laughs> in March. These are important things to to be monitoring the agricultural practices yeah. uh, for better or worse. And yes um zwift that's no, but in all seriousness <laughs> that is why a lot of riders get sick around this time the cold the rain and the rubbish flicking up across the road anyway back to catalonia where there was not rain quickstep launching at benji they brought the brake back pretty handily i think guillaume was the philosopher the last from the break to be brought back um actually i think carapaz was there together with maxim van hills as the last two uh, van hills was good for yeah. some reason carapaz looked weak at the first kilometer of la molina because he was like dropping from the philosopher and maxim van hills's wheel and then he's just walked back to them well not walking but on the bike he's crawled back to them and then they dropped Martin, and we had those two riders being the last two to, to be caught. 
on Hills was even the last one when he attacked Carapaz. But anyway, break story behind us. Irrelevant at this point. The Peloton was going to fight it out for the stage. And Quickstep was pushing. Hill was pushing a bit. Hits in front of Von Wilder. And after Algarve, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. Because Von Wilder was pretty strong. And in, in Algarve is one of the strongest GC riders there. It looks like Von Wilder made a step up, right? Like a proper step up. Yeah. Oh, Van Wilder. I feel like he did. From when? The, the gap with the Velta is not significant, but I feel like in Algarve, he was properly competing for GC. Yeah, Algarve was good. Uh, to be honest, maybe it's because I expected him to do exactly this. Yeah. To be honest, I expected him yesterday to reduce it to five. Okay. To four. Uh, I expected a little bit more, actually. Um, Van Hills is who I think has really gone from yeah. winning a meme Saudi edition to like, being a legitimately quite good climber yeah. and rider. And there's another Belgian on Lotto Destiny I want to highlight at the end of this stage. But, I mean, to your point, Benji, I don't know. Maybe Van Hills, has he been uh, – not Van Hills, Van Wilder, he might not have done the same prep as Remco, no, like no. just come from altitude. So he might actually be performing really well for someone who is about to have a little bit of a break and build back up again. Uh, but he, he's been very, very good. Actually, it's here that's been a little bit – not doing exactly, especially yesterday, was not good. Uh, and Masnada maybe a little bit under too. But long time till the Jira. Quick step was strong. Jumbo Visma didn't have too many riders. And we were just thinking, when is Ramco Evenepoel going to attack? Because this is a big wide road. I dare say even a highway by European standards. It's up to a ski resort. It's like, Decent road surface, draft is important. There's not that many steep pinches at all. When is Remco going to go? And at one point, Benji, I thought Van Vilder was going to control it yep. until the sprint because the moment seemed to have passed. Yeah, it's like you'd expect it on like the steepest part of La Molina. I feel like it was maybe a bit later, a tiny bit later than that. We were at four kilometers to go, which is where we're kind of evolving into this like up and down terrain at the end of uh, La Molina. But I did feel like something was coming and the tempo of Von Welder wasn't excruciating. I didn't feel like I was watching someone about to get launched, but maybe that's like a subtle surprise factor, not expecting the move then. Or would you say we're underrating the mm. tempo of Von Welder here? I don't know. Maybe Van Vilder was pulling really, really strongly and there's no need to attack when your teammate is pulling. What was clear, though, when Remco does go with, I think, over four kilometers yep. remaining, and this is just before the descent, not just before, there's a K before the descent starts at least, Roglic is not immediately on the wheel. Like, it's a long bridge before he's directly on the wheel. And that was interesting to me in that he must have been under a little bit of pressure then because if he is doing it easy, there's not going to be a 15 to 25 second lag while he's get sort of motoring across to the wheel, at least from what yep. I think. He was like powering his way across to Remco, obviously a very strong attack from Remco. And the question was, is Remco going to do what he did yesterday? And the answer is yes. He's going to just, in Duran style, pace the whole, not well, not the whole way, yeah. not the whole way, but Ranko basically goes to the front, starts pacing. We all expect it. Roach is in the wheel. He is 
if you go and look at the position of Roglic, and it's clear 2020 hindsight now, he wasn't bluffing. Roglic is like hunched over trying yeah. to get as arrow as possible, like rocking a bit. Avonapol obviously already had him on the limit. This isn't even that hard a climb, and it has been a hard stage because of quick step. Behind though, Benji, credit to Adam Yates where credit is due. UAE had Soler bringing back Almeida, and this is, uh, we should discuss this. You bring back Almeida to the group. Yeah, he's looking back, looking back, looking yeah. back, sees, sees Almeida there, starts pacing. Good job, Adam Yates. I think so as well. Whether Soler was pacing because he was seeing Almeida behind or whether it was because Soler was dropping as well, I'm I'm honestly still in the, in the, in the field of like, he probably was dropping as well and was pacing himself back as well in that situation. But hey, it happened, so we got to credit them. And from that point onwards, you'd be like, they're going to start pacing, right? And Yates did pace at this point for a tiny bit. Wasn't wasn't crazy. And the gap kind of expanded a tiny bit to a good 20 seconds. Was roughly 20 seconds, I feel like, before yeah. they dove into the descent because Molina is basically a descent before a ramp until the finish line again. And... That existed, and suddenly, who do we see of the front of the second group? Mark Soler. This now, I defended Mark Soler yesterday on the pod and on Twitter. <laughs> this is inexcusable. To He's behind Almeida on GC. He's not as strong as Almeida, let's be real. Almeida should do better than him on low port. Now, I, I'm not saying he has to throw away his GC for Almeida yesterday either, or even today. But to attack when Yates was pacing into a Chasse-Vatat, into that descent, just like he did last year with Almeida having been brought back, is really poor. Mainly because, first of all, has zero chance of success. So he's thrown away his own GC time by doing that stupid attack. And he's disrupted the rhythm in the of what Yates was doing for yep. Almeida. So, yeah, just really, really tough seeing that sort of thing that being said i will say how what's almeida doing getting dropped benji when remco goes and there's still 10 other gc contenders there i told you like is there something wrong with his training i told you he is literally the climbing tim the cleric he can't go above a certain wattage to follow people right it's but the only he has to be able to he has <laughs> to be able to physically he has to is it i don't like it must he finishes he finishes fifth, second, in, uh, third in the group behind. And Hindley and Chicone got good punch. Finishes fifth, third in that group. Is he scared he, of going in the It must be a choice. Physically, in that moment, yeah. he can stay in that group. And he chooses not to. I think he's scared of going in the red. Yeah, I think so. Okay. But every climb is not high monetary. Like when you're going into a descent, you want to be on a wheel. Like it really, really helps yeah. when you're going sixty on a, a Lamolina. You kind of want to be on the wheel. Um, like I get it on Mortirola, do the power. That does make sense. But man, and this is that is where I lose a little bit of the sympathy for him. And if I was his teammate, I'd be like, come on, man. You can stay with the group. Yeah. Almeida anyway. fans, their heart rate must be like up and down and up and down and up and down <laughs> like crazy. Well, no, I think Almeida is really, really good. Yeah. I, I think Almeida is brilliant. I just think sometimes he 
this wasn't Lunalina's not the climb to do the Almeida strat. <laughs> do it on low port. Low port's a good one. Yeah. We'll see that later. Anyway, Remco leads out Roglic. He does seem to be very cognizant of Roglic on his wheel. The gap is 19 down to a bit less than that, coming down to 15, maybe even 13. And then I think is Remco going to open up too early? Roglic kind of baits him a little bit at 300, but Remco slowly opens up his sprint, not too early, and just straight drops Roglic. Roglic isn't even in the drops yet. It's like a 4 5% uphill. And Remco seemed very, very pumped to win the stage, Benji, winning comfortably a two-second gap with the post-up Costi in the jersey. Yep, quite certainly. Now, I will say, however, we look at this stage and we look at yesterday's stage for a second. What are the differences? Why does it work today and it didn't work yesterday? And I'd say we can point at two things here, right? First of all, the stage was harder and they put more more effort into the, the Creta climb before the final climb and therefore maybe the effort had more of a consequence on, on Roglic throughout the stage. That's one factor that could play a role. But also next to that, I think he really slowed down, like you mentioned, right before the sprint because the group behind was in vision just before they started sprinting, just before yeah. they both started launching. Did you at any point believe that Roglic was once again doing his trick where he kind of showed that he was no. launching and staying on the wheel? He was too much, like his elbows give it away, right? Roglic's yeah, elbows yeah. tell a story. And also just the way the way he was getting back to the wheel when Remco first yeah. attacked and then Remco had kept the pressure on and it just goes to show and this is why it, it was curious to me and like I did have a wry smile when I saw Remco win the stage. I was like, wow, like <laughs> you know, imagine how much time you would have taken yesterday <laughs> if, you'd, if you'd launched yesterday because yesterday they didn't seem sure of Remco yeah. for some reason. He's gone done crazy what's on Tayday and maybe they think the air is extra thin at altitude on mainland Spain versus altitude on island off the coast of Africa Spain uh I think it's all the same at the same altitude maybe I could be wrong with pressure or whatever but they're like oh we'll see how we go at altitude yesterday I was like well you fucking did 6.7 for 20 in training like it's gone pretty good so I mean, it just goes to show how how good Remco's shape is right now. He is in crazy shape. Yep. And to do what he did yesterday, not lose time, to do what he did today, attacking on La Molina, which is not a selective climb. I know they made it hard before, but it is not a selective climb. It has a descent in the middle, which he paced. And then to win the sprint like that against Roglic goes to show he is in fantastic shape. And I'm really excited for what he can do on low port. For certain. You mentioned the, the celebrity... Uh, the celebrity, the celebration, <laughs> the celebration costing him the jersey. He's now on same time, I'm pretty sure, as Roglic on the second spot. And my question there was like, Laporte is coming. He's now in second position on same time. I don't think it will matter too much for the control of the race who's in first. But I think Laporte will decide it anyway. I think Remco Evenepoel yeah. will drop Primoz Roglic on Laporte. So I don't think this will matter. But at the Giro, he probably, depending on the stage, he shouldn't do this. Because on some stages, you do want someone else in the jersey. But in this situation, it didn't really matter for control in the next stage, I think. Nah, I think if he's five seconds ahead or... If he's five, if Remco is five seconds ahead of Roglic for Laporte, 
you would still want a pace if you're quick step because if Roglic wins in Barcelona, which he could, and Remco doesn't take any bonus seconds, Roglic wins GC. So if he was leading, if he was behind, quick step are always going to pace Laporte, at least I think. Um, but yeah, also Roglic, I don't know, he's come back from the surgery or the shoulder, whatever was wrong with him. Um, he's a little bit behind in the training compared to the other guys. He wasn't even supposed to be at Torreno, which he won. He, yeah, I'm not sure if he's had the same prep as Avonapol. That being said, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for him on, on low port. The road yeah. decides and has no forgiveness, no matter whether you've had bad prep or Good prep. Uh, otherwise, in the group behind, Ciccone wins the sprint, so he's in still in very, very good shape. He's the clear third best out of behind Evanapol and Roglic. Healy fourth, Almeida fifth, Lander sixth, Woods, Otterbrooks, Chavez, Bardet, O'Connor, all on the same time. Soler lost another nine seconds, so good move. Uh, and I want to point out this rider, Leonard Van Eetveld. Oh, that's how you say it. Leonard. Is that how you say it? Yeah. He was at he was on Tate in Tenerife at the moment when I was riding in Tate in December. And he was on the hotel on the opposite side of the street of me, and I never saw him, unfortunate. I would have dropped him on Tate. One of you on me, Leonard. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Uh anyway, he's only twenty one. This is his first year at Lotto Destiny. He was two he had two top threes in the Majorcan one day races. And then Almeritim Duvar, he was okay, like sixteenth in a couple of stages. Then not so good in the one-day races, Laguelia, Drome, and Ardesh. But then he was 20th yesterday, uh, only 132 back, finished ahead of Bardet. And then today he's 12th on La Molina, only 22 seconds back. Now, this guy has won a stage of the baby Giro, second in GC there, second in Liège U23. Uh, so he might be a little bit punchier, and that was behind... Yeah. Gregoire, who's very, very good. Flesh. Uh, sa- same at Flesh Ardennes, which um, I'm going to say is the U23 version of no, 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 Flesh no, no, Malone, no. even though it's not, <laughs> and I know it's not, but it's funny if I say it is. So he looks very good, and I, I look forward to seeing him at Flesh Malone and Liège yeah. this year for Lotto Destiny. I, I truly think that those uh, those races, the Hill Classics are the ones where he'll, where he'll be stepping forward for that team. Now, there's a few other riders that will try and do stuff there. I think Andreas Kohn will probably try and do stuff there. But I'm really hyped on Leonard van Eetveld, as we saw in the early in the early weeks of, of this year when it comes to racing. Now, when it comes to Eitbrooks for a second, we hyped him up a lot in the past. And now that he's actually performing, I feel like we're going over him as like, oh, he's just in the top 10 sometimes. <laughs> but Expected. Expected, eh? Velta top 10 yeah. should be doable, eh? Top 10. No, nah, actually, it depends who goes to the Vuelta, of course. But yeah, top 10 of the Vuelta, absolutely doable. Uh, to be honest, I would send him as a domestique for Hindley at the Tour. Okay. I don't see why not. Like, I really like the... You rarely get an opportunity to do a Tour de France with zero pressure. Yeah. Very rarely. Jonas in 21, not much pressure on Jonas Vingard. In fact... Unless you're watching on the Angleroo, a lot of people might not have known who Jonas was. Now, Otterbrook's a bigger name than that, but if you go and it's all about Jura winner Hindley, he's going as a domestique for Hindley. Like Bernal went in 2018, 
Yeah, but first of all, he can stay in GC. It's good experience for the two. I think but that makes the most sense. He's also going to be really good for Hindley in that role. Yeah, but Vingegaard is Danish and Arte Brooks is Belgian. Belgian media will invent a TV program called Tour de Tour de nah, Key on Arte Brooks. Wow, it's going. Yeah, they. <laughs> True. I feel like Arte Brooks barely gets any coverage relative yeah. to his age and talent. I think that's one because he signed for Bora and because Remco exists. And two, because his family probably protects him pretty well. I once tried to get him on the podcast two years ago, and his agent said he can't because he's studying, which was probably a valid reason, but he probably was also protecting him against media stuff back then, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. When is Remco coming on the podcast? Good question. I should ask it soon. Ever, ever. I've got so many questions for Remco. He's he's (laughs) probably like euphoric right now because the last three days on... In this race, the last two days in this race, I, I received a message after the finish saying, fuck every time you lost. <laughs> so now it's going to be happy. Oh, he very happy that he won the stage. <laughs> like, yeah, really, really. I mean, everyone's happy. Well, actually, no. Roglic is not happy when he, Roglic, when he wins the stage. just goes and presses <laughs> the ends ride button. <laughs> he doesn't even react, uh, which is pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, this... Roglic is still leading GC, but to me, the race feels kind of over. It's a weird feeling because it's the quote-unquote easiest finish and Remco was able to take time. Like, anyway, we'll do the preview of tomorrow's stage. Loport, by the way, which we keep mentioning just just for reference, it's a hockey stick stage. It's 8.6Ks, 8.9%. Remco has performed very, very well on stages like that, which is the Galster top and climb in Norway is very, very similar. So, yeah, in cool conditions, he should be okay. Remco, I think, has a heating problem, by the way. Possibly. He's got the jersey unzipped on fucking Lamalina. You know, it's like cold. <laughs> it's, I don't know, and it's also when you look at the other riders, hey, they don't have it undone. It's a Giro that he's riding, so it probably won't be an issue. <laughs> True, yeah, 2,700-meter Swiss border in May is not, um, I mean, global climate change is a problem, but if, yeah, it shouldn't be too hot up there. Anyway, tomorrow's stage, 188 case from Yivia to Sabadei. It is a sprint stage. I really think this is the one sprint stage. We've got Groves, Cockard here. Uh, there's an intermediate sprint early. The break should take that, so I don't think Roglic and Remco will get mixed up in that. Uh, who you got for the sprint, Benji? Someone weird like Arna Marit? <laughs> I literally was looking at Anton Marche and saw Arna Marit when you asked that yeah. question. I was like, going to say Arna Marit, but now, now that you said it, nah, he's going to be destroyed <laughs> tomorrow. Now, when it comes to other riders, Kenan Groves is kind of the, the name you're looking at, eh, for this yeah. race. Abrasturi crashed pretty hard as well for track. Everybody True. at crash uh, at track has crashed these days. Kenny's also mm. out, I'm pretty sure. Offstetter probably won't make it against the big boys. Ah, Jayco's not here Strong. with a sprinter. Strong is probably the one that they will go for. They've got Impy, but I feel like I rate no, Strong better Strong. than Impy. Than and I don't know, Milan Menton Edward sprinted. Prades. I'm going to go with Milan Menton. He sprinted really oh. well in a race this week or last week. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Um, Let me go with Groves. He should, he'll probably yeah. be the stage favorite. Yeah, should be. Other fast people. Jeez. (laughs) I'm not sure about that. Thomas. Oh, Ethan Hayter's here. Yeah, but he didn't look great on stage one. As in his positioning was good this time, but his sprint wasn't. 
oh, it was uphill. I mean, yeah, where are the other he, sprinters? He's supposed to be where good at uphill. Where were the other sprinters? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I was more encouraged by the positioning, to That's be true. honest. true, true. Yeah. Anyway, Hayter Cockard, Groves, Menton, Arna Marit. It's a bit of a lottery. Could have like Rudiger Zelig is going to top 10. <laughs> um, that's sort of, that's what we get in Catalonia. Anyway, <laughs> that's it from the stage. Remco looking good, but we do have a big showdown coming on Loport on Friday. Otherwise, Brugge de Pana was also on today. For me, that took a little bit of a back seat. That was 213 Ks. I know I, I'm, I'm, I apologize, but Remco v Roglic, I, I have to be watching that. We don't know how many more times we'll see that in our life. Uh, yeah, from Bruges. Beautiful fairy tale city to Depana on the coast on the French border in the west of Flanders. They do laps around the Moor, which is like flat marshland area, super exposed to the wind and cold. And we had a really strong start list here of sprinters, Gaviria, Groenewegen, Jakobsen, Phillips, and Bennett. It goes on and on. Ackerman, Molano. It was a really Olaf Coy, Cavendish. Apart from Merlier, we had virtually every half-decent sprinter in this race, as well as good ruler squads too, uh, with like Van Poppel. And basically every ruler you'll see in Flanders on E3 and Gendrevelhem was at this race. <laughs> Just missing Vanderpool, Pog, Binny, uh, Van Aert, like the top classics guys. Um, but yeah, how did it open up, Benji? Well, we had a breakaway. Jonas Ruch, Milan Fretain, Jens Reinders, Luis Bendixen, and Matthias Lebere. The, the, the guy we mentioned a few times, Lebere. I don't know where he was good, but he was good at some point this year, and we mentioned it on the podcast. So if you go back listen to every podcast, you'll know what I'm talking about. So good luck with that. That being said, that breakaway was not going to be the most decisive thing, although they didn't make it into a front echelon later in the race, so they survived somewhat and helped their teammates a bit. So... Technically, they were satellite riders, accidentally. That aside, Echelons was where it was going to happen because you mentioned it. The Muren is that spectacular section that we sometimes have at the start at Hendwevelgem, where if there's Echelons in Hendwevelgem, it's usually before the hills, which is where the Muren are in that race. Here it's more towards the end of the race, like you said. Multiple laps, I think three laps in total of that. They go down from the from Verne, which is like above the Muren marches. And then they turn around and go upwards. And the upwards part is where the danger was this time around. The going north part towards the Pona and Verna was a danger part because you got to imagine you're, you're in America. You're in the middle of a fucking desert and there's one road in there. That's that. But the difference is there's marches around you instead of a road. And this is not a lie. The trees by the sides of these roads are oddly shaped in one direction because of the wind. <laughs> So, obviously, there can be echelons there. There was cross tailwind in this section, uh, above 27k an hour, so it was happening. We knew that, but I feel like there were echelons before we even got there, because splits in the peloton with 163 kilometers to go. Bennett drops, Bennett abandons, so Jordi Mays was the next one in line for that team. Then that's that sucks for Bennett. He crashed in Milan-Sanremo, though, but he said it wasn't as bad as it looked. Anyway, that came back to get a 3k later. Next 10 kilometers, 153k to go, split in the peloton, comes back together. And then it kind of was a rest moment, because then you're going to like the cities uh, before we head into the marches, into the Muren, and we see a crash from Cavendish, and a mechanical for Koi, and I think that mechanical of Koi fucked him over at that moment in the race. And by the end of the race, you'll be like, oh, how did he get there? But let's talk about it. 113 kilometers, 
mechanical of Koi, and then we see 6k later that the Muren arrive. And Alpecin is really the team that was the one really pushing every echelon, I feel like, in this race. Quickstep was also pushing, but I feel like it was more Alpecin that was the more decisive team here. And they pushed it open, and we've got 35 riders at the front of the race, basically when coverage starts. And the breakaways being caught at this point. And who's in it? I've got a list in front of me. The most important parts are there's four eyes of Quickstep in there. The initial list showed Jakobsen, but he was not in the first echelon there. So not ideal if you're Quickstep there. And shockingly, Alpecin, who was very active at creating echelons as well, also there with only two riders. So not ideal for them either. So a lot of riders behind at that point. I'm pretty sure Philipson that was actually in the group there um a bit later but Van Poppel was there with Koch and Mullen because Bennett wasn't there anymore but Mayus neither so Van Poppel was the guy but then he punctured out of the group so that wasn't good for that group like there's so many riders in this group but so many missing as well Wellsford is missing Bauhaus is missing Jakobsen, Grunewegen, Olaf Koy from that mechanical, Demar, Cavendish who crashed, Bennett who abandoned, Gaviria, Ackermann, Van Mark and Gerben Thijs and all those sprinters and it kind of is the thing you'd expect, eh? They go through the moon and then what's going to happen afterwards? There's a lot of teams that don't have their sprinter there and would like to have their sprinter there, so there's no real follow-up there, right? Do you feel like uh, a team like Lotto was expected to push there? They did push a tiny bit, but Ewan kind of dropped a bit later, so that was not ideal. I'm not sure how much they trust Ewan. Like, mm -hmm. if you're Frizon and you got Diamonds or Bulins, who I don't know particularly well, but he seems to be improving a little bit too, like, do you, you know, you don't want to be that guy on TV who's pushing when your sprint is getting dropped at the back, especially when you're yeah. a team where it's like a lot has been around Caleb Ewan. Um, also, maybe you are anticipating would work. I don't know. Like, Lotto seems to be doing really well yeah. from relative to last year focusing back on sort of just being good at races across both Catalonia and here and other races, they're doing quite well at the moment. I would also say that despite all the chaos I just threw at you when it comes to that group, the second group came back afterwards and we went into the second Muren and that's where it started to become a more linear race where you can actually understand what's going on. So Alpsen once again pushing echelons together with Lotto and that splits up the peloton at 65 kilometers to go. And there's a group where we can actually understand what's going on. We've got four eyes of Quickstep, Jakobsen, Ballerini, Lampard, and Van Lerbergen. So their goal is achieved, right? Jakobsen in group one. Grunewegen is there without a single teammate, so not super ideal, but their leader is there. So that's the most important part. Philipsen and Ricard are there, so two riders for Alpesen. They maybe would have wanted more than two riders there, but their leader is there, and they've got a lead out there. So they're okay with it. Jonas Koch is there. Well, that's not good enough, eh? For, for ex well, what was Bennett's team? Uh, Van Poppel punctured earlier, so was missing here. And then I don't know where Meus was personally. Marijn Vandenberg made it into the sprint. He was, uh, he's been pretty decent this year, a bit of a step up. Ackerman Molano here. Um, and Demar Welton turns Olaf Koikon, Sonny Mozart, and Frizo and Berlins. And Ewan dropped at that point. But at this point, we're, we're heading towards the final mood, and then we've got a bit of a move in the peloton, huh? Well, what's left of it? Lampard attacks, uh, which is all right with Philipson. 
and Philipson doing a lot of work for himself. This is, I think, to speak for both Benji and myself, why we think he is the best printer in the world because he can jump into moves like this and also sprint afterwards. He can also win a Tour de France big old sprint. He is a he can also get over hills. He's just a really good all round sprinter. Um, even if maybe he can't win a San Remo or yeah. or Jan Vevelhem the way they're currently raced. Anyway, Lampart, Philipson, Koy attack, Frizon Bridges. Interesting from Lampart, Benji, right? Like he's putting a lot of pressure on himself against what? Two of the top four favorites before yeah. this race even started? Yeah, it looked like he was kind of pushing in an echelon section or a not super clear echelon section. And a gap kind of was created behind Philipson and Coy. And Philipson kept pushing because he's like, well, this is a good situation for me. Let's hammer it. And then Lampard is like, oh God. And he just sits on the wheel from that point. So it's an interesting attack. Whether he did it on purpose is a questionable thing. I would say that when that moves keeps going and Lampard keeps sitting on the back, you know that Quickstep's not happy with this situation. And after that, we've got like a mechanical of someone of Quickstep in the second group and he like drops off the back of that group and we see Wilfried Peters, I think, jump out of the car and like flip over half on the ground, slip, and, and then give the bike to, to... I think it was... I think it might have been Lampard before this attack actually that that happened. But just... I hope he's okay, Wilfred Peters, but it was pretty funny to see that happen. I hope he's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Imagine he's got a broken ankle. Well, then uh, I'm getting cancelled. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> quick stuff spacing behind, so clearly not happy with the situation, and this was going towards the last two kilometers here. And what you'd expect in that group is an attack from Lampard and, and Frizzol, sure. right? For sure from Lampard. You can't go to the finish with Coy and Phillips. <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, who could, who would? There aren't many riders you would go to the finish with. Even Van Aert, I'd be like, mm, I'll probably think about counterattacking at some point. Yeah. And also, if you attack and the goal is for the group behind to come back and you've got Fabio on 21 seconds, if you start opening up the attacks early, is Philipson, after he closes you, really going to start going to the front again and driving it? Yep. Like, I agree. Isn't chaos what you want earlier? And that lets Fabio come back. Where's Fabio? Um, as they said in Moneyball. But yeah, and he's not in a group, Fabio, with like, hey, Milano's there, but it's not Marcel Kittel in the group. I don't know. It seemed like sitting on the back's great. You are getting a little bit of an advantage. But the last thing a pure sprinter wants to do is start turning it into the last 5Ks into a brawl. So, yeah, it almost looked like he backed his sprint, Benji. Yeah, it looked like that straight up. There was one rider that didn't back his sprint, which was Frison, who attacked with 1.5K to go. But Philipson was looking at him while he was attacking. So he was like looking to the left behind him and he was like, Okay, I'm just gonna follow your wheel. <laughs> Cause like Frizon's kinda like the cleric in the sense that he can't go past a certain wattage. <laughs> He's also got that limit. And we see Philipson just following that wheel and Koi following the wheel of Philipson. And we see Lampard and the wheel of, of Koi. And from that point on, it's getting too close to the finish line to really to really expect too many attacks, but I still expect Lampard to attack early instead of trusting his final sprint. So I don't know. Maybe he maybe he just Feldy was going to beat Phillips and then Coy on the finish line here. I don't know. Get diamond in the legs, maybe. But uh, there's no way. There's Wait. no way. <laughs> like, Did we not at some possible. point see 
Was this the European Championships where Ackermann, Lampard, and and Viviani were against each other and Lampard trusted it sprint against one of them? I think was that Lampard with... 20, I'm trying to remember. 19, 2020, 2020 probably, because we didn't do podcasts in 2019, so we couldn't have actually done a podcast about it. I think it was, I did a video on it. It was the 2019 European Championships. Oh. And yes, you're correct. And basically Lampard rode with Viviani the whole way and then got beaten in the sprint. Now, the excuse was they were trade teammates at the time. Yeah, Viviani but... was on quick step. So that was the excuse. These are not trade teammates, Lampard and Philipson. Maybe they're friends of the bike. We don't know. But yeah, on paper, Philipson and Koi should be beating Lampard here. And we see Lampard open it early on the left side. He like goes by the barrier and moves on the left side. But yeah, there was a pretty quick response on the other side of the road, right? Philipson comes out of the wheel, does the business. Uh, Koi comes out of his wheel a little bit to the right that he's not moving up quick enough. At all, you can see the finish coming quickly. He comes second behind Philipson. Lampard third, Frizzon fourth. Jakobsen wins the bunch sprint behind for fifth. Decent gaps though, like Ballerini and uh, Van Leeberke were just ahead of Groenewegen and Demar further back. Selective race, like 24th is on 4 minutes 53. Now they probably stopped trying and people in Flanders keep trying for a top 20, but Big gaps for a flat race. Goes to show how hard it was today. So impressive from Philipson. He has won three races this year, all at World Tour level in 11 race days. And let me have a look. Is this his biggest? I would say it's his biggest one-day win. He's obviously won two stages of the Tour de France, but this is above Eschborn Frankfurt for me, especially given the quality of competition. Pardon? Hento Evelheim is coming. Is that this weekend? Uh... It, that should be this week, I'm pretty sure. But I think Sunday or something. It is. It's on Sunday. But And he's me, on the start list. And he doesn't have Melian in his team this time, so he won't be fucked over by his team this time around. And uh, Melia's... I mean, that's a big one for Quickstep. They have Melia there with Lampard, Asgren, Ballerini, Pedersen, Steiner, Van Leeberger. It's virtually their A Classics team. Van Aert's also doing Genwevelen. But anyway, we'll, we'll be recapping that race on Sunday. But... Nothing really to report here apart from the Lampard discussion. Lampard discussion. I expected him, Philipson, to beat Coy. Uh, good on Frizon for trying. That's a very nice result for him coming fourth in a sort of World Tour level one-day race like this. Definitely a lot of question marks over Sudar Quickstep going into this classic season. Uh, but when Remco's doing the business, in Spain, that takes a little bit of the sting off, I think. Uh, I will say, this race should decide how many UCI points it gives, depending on whether there was wind in the Muren or not. Because last 100%. year, it was a bloody sprint. And, and coverage. What do you mean? Well, like, same with Kent Vavilham. If you know the day before the weather is going to be bad, yeah. I want wall-to-wall coverage. Yeah. If it's sunny, 12 degrees, no wind... You can start it at 15 Ks to go. <laughs> exactly. But I will say when it comes to this race, I would even go as far as saying if it has echelons, give it monument points. If it doesn't have echelons, give it the same <laughs> yeah. points as, I don't know, 
Copa Bernocchi or a random stage in the in the Saskatchewan? <laughs> Saskatoon. That's where Jayco final eraders, Benji. Um, <laughs> anyway, nice win for Philipson. Albertson looking a lot better than they did a month ago. Funny how that works when Philipson and Vanderpool start racing again. Anyway, the other news was in Seti Manicopi in Nazionale Bartoli, if that's how you say it. Uh, Sean Quinn won, Viva La America. So he's a nice young American rider on EF Education Easy Post. This is his first professional win. He did well in a Portuguese race before. He was third in the Dauphiné stage last year. I can't really figure out what type of rider he is because uh, he he's kind of slender. He has a sprint, but he hasn't done that well on punchy finishes, even though he's a quick sprinter. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But uh, he won this stage, which is great to see. Good teamwork with James Shaw, who I think did the lead out. They beat Mario Schmidt and Walter uh, Calzoni on it sounds like food. Q3 6.5. It does, Benji. It sounds like a pizza. Wait, what? Oh, is, is that calzone, the folded pizzas? A calzone is a folded pizza, yeah. So folded pizza nearly won Coffee Bartoli. Is this racist? Um, No, but I'm going to say yes just to... Do you a concern? Fuck. <laughs> nah, it's not. His name is literally Folder Pizza. Is it the plural of it? Because it's it was an E, not an I, in in uh, on restaurants. In anyway, we're deep into the weeds here. Anyway, nice result for him. And to be honest, he came eleventh in Classical Hand. He looks like a half decent rider. He's only twenty one. I reckon he's pretty good. Uh, Galzoni. I reckon he'll get picked up by Trek or somebody in 2025. He is good enough to be on a World Tour team, even though Q3 6.5 have done a little bit better yep. this year than uh, I expected them to do. A but that's a race to watch. Pardon? A tasty performance. That's very, very good. Um, but that's a race we'll, just to watch from a, like a scouting and improvement and young rider perspective. Like it's usually guys 25 or under who get sent there by the dev teams or they ride guys on the dev team on Yumbo, for example, will ride for the big team in this race. They're allowed to go up and down. And, but there's also Remy Cavagna there. He sort of beat up the kids yesterday. <laughs> going <laughs> solo. The kids. <laughs> well, that's what it is, right? I mean, to me, this is like glorified U23 race. Um, <laughs> Child he went on his one of patented attacks and, yeah, beat up the kids, and he won those two seconds. But he lost that time today. So I thought GC Cavani was on. He lost. He lost 322. And there's a TT in this race. I thought GC was done. So good for the interest. But um, the kids are beating yeah. him up today. He got beaten up by the kids today. <laughs> yeah, oh, Schmidt came second. But yeah, Glogs here. Lipovitz is here. Lots of young guys. So worth watching. Yeah, actually, no, sorry, it's impossible to watch. We'll just tell you what happened. Anyway, that's, no, seriously, it's like impossible to watch this race unless you live in Italy and have the, can watch Rye at 7 p.m. Uh, that's all from us today. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back with the sprint stage of Catalonia tomorrow. And then uh, I think that's all the World Tour racing from terms of classics until E3 on Friday. Lots of stuff happening. Until then, ciao.